So good, so good. Hey, I've got a really great message that God has given me to speak this morning, and I'm so excited for this. He, um, he kind of gave me the, the message title for this about 12 months ago, um, and it'll, it'll make sense in a moment, but would you stand with me this morning as we just read some scripture to, to kick off this morning? I think it's really important to stand for the word of God. Now, this is a big one. There's a, a lot of scripture here, so hang with me. It's going to be good, I promise. We're reading from John 11 this morning. And this is the story of Lazarus, a guy named Lazarus in the Bible. So we're reading from verse 1. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it's, it's for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Isn't that interesting? Two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going to go back there. And Jesus is like, yeah, there's like 12 hours of daylight. It's cool. Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen They weren't getting it, right? So he goes, look, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, so I'm going to wake him up. And the disciples read, well, Lord, if he's asleep, he's just going to get better, right? That's cool. And Jesus is like, oh, you guys just don't get this. Right. Cool, cool. All right. Let's be a bit more plain. So he says, Lazarus is dead, dudes. Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. It's cool. It's like some kind of Viking thing. He's like, let us die with him, right? It's good. So then Jesus gets to Bethany, right? So on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. But when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Now, this is, this is interesting. This is really important. Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's, she's angry, right? She's like, why didn't, why didn't, you, why didn't you come sooner? This is, this is my brother. He's dead because you didn't come. Because you weren't here, Jesus. Verse 22. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And she didn't get it either. She said, well, I know he'll rise again at the resurrection in the last days, right? And then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord. She replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, he and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha hadn't met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. 
When Mary reached the place of where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. He wouldn't have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come, come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Isn't that an interesting point? That's a whole sermon right there. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could you not see who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And then, this is, this is the best bit, right? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb, and it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. And you can imagine what he's feeling right here. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he's been there for four days. And then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said that, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with straps of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothing and let him go. Man, what a powerful story. I know that's a big bit of scripture, but isn't that worth it? Wow. Can you turn to the person next to you and tell them my sermon title for this morning? It's called Trick or Treat. Trick or Treat. Isn't it fitting that we're in a time of Halloween and we're, we're talking about dead men being raised from the dead, right? Grab a seat. Grab a seat. So God gave me this, this sermon title last year when Halloween was coming up, but I felt it wasn't a cooked message yet. So I'm really excited to, to go through it today. And it is massive. There's so much in here. I'm hoping we're going to get through all of it. But if we don't, is it cool with you guys if we pick it up again next week? Yeah. Does that work? Awesome. All right. That's good, good insurance for me because I haven't even started my timer. And that's usually helpful. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. So my question for you is, is it a trick of the devil or is it a treat from God? Isn't that an interesting concept? It's more often than not, a lot of the time for me, it seems like it's the same thing. I, I can't tell the difference. I, I get so caught up in myself that I don't always recognize when it's the devil or when it's God, you know, if it's the devil trying to play a trick on my life, or if it's God trying to give a treat to my life, right? And sometimes it can be both at the same time. And we're going to talk a bit about that a bit later on. Now, an example is when I preach. Man, some weeks I get off stage and I think I've completely bombed a sermon and I'm like hiding under my desk basically going, oh man, why did I say it like that? Oh, that was horrible. But then, so, and it's so funny because we, we beat ourselves up so much about things like that, don't we? And it's, it's hilarious because then I can, I can do that for a day or so and then someone comes up to me and they're like, man, that was amazing. That was just what I needed. God was speaking straight to me. And I'm like, what? How is that possible? How can it be that the devil is playing a trick on my mind, but yet it's someone else's treat? I don't get it, right? How crazy is that? It breaks my brain, yeah? And as Christians, I think we struggle with telling the difference all the time with this, right? Between the devil's tricks and God's treats. And so often they are exactly the same thing. So how can we actually tell the difference between these things, right? How can we tell 
the difference between the trick of the devil or a treat from God. And I think the devil is a good liar. I think that's a big part of it. He's going to pretend he's God, but I think there's so much more than that as well. And as a bit of a disclaimer for today's message, it's going to be a deep dive into the pool between the devil and God. And maybe you're early on in your journey. Maybe that just seems a bit far-fetched for you. And that's totally cool. There's nothing wrong with that. If that's you, then your first step is just acknowledging that the devil is there, that he's real, and is a spiritual force that's playing in your world. That's step one. And if that's all you get today, that is perfectly fine. There is nothing wrong with that at all. But for some of us, I think this is an issue we really struggle with, right? And sometimes what I think is a trick from the devil is really a treat from God. Now, we went down to a conference down in Perth recently at C3WA Day, which was amazing. It was a gathering of all the C3 Western Australian pastors. We got to come together in fellowship and worship and and talk through some stuff and hear a couple of messages. And this message from Pastor Emma Schroeder, who's one of the lead pastors of C3WA and C3 Hepburn Heights, really hit home for us. And it was really great. She talked about something called the wall. So I want to talk through this now with you and share a little bit of this. It's the work of God is mysterious. Running a church is mysterious. Trust me. It's very mysterious. You don't know what's coming next. But it's normal. It's normal to think in your life, I'm not sure what God is doing right now. That's normal for all of us. So I'm going to pop up this slide, the stage of the faith. Thanks, Elma. That's awesome. And this is actually the journey that we go through as Christians And this really helped to demystify it for me. So I know this is going to help you. Now, there's a lot of research that has gone into this. Um, Peter Gazzaro, Augustine, John Wesley, a heap of scholars have talked about this. And they've kind of worked together on forming this chart. And it's incredible. So when you first become a Christian, you start having this life-changing awareness of God, right? That's the first thing. You have this massive shift and you're like, okay, this God thing could be real, right? This could be something that's actually a thing. And then you get to, so this, actually the life-changing awareness can be gradual, it can be over time, or it can be an immediate decision where one Sunday you come to church for the first time and you're like, man, I'm in. It can be either one of those. Stage two, this is when you become a disciple, right? You become a disciple and you start to learn. This is about growth, it's about learning, it's about belonging. And this is for people who maybe you've, they've experienced God and they want to learn a bit more. You want to be with other people, you want to love and be loved. This is people that are going to connect groups, people that are really having a great time connecting in worship. Maybe you're attending prayer meetings. Maybe you're loving reading scripture. Maybe you're tithing. All of this starts to get established here. It's the learning stage of how to be be a Christian, right? Number three, the act of life. The act of life is serving. So this is a stage that we go through when we step up to the next level and we go, you know what? It's it's more than just about me. I want to serve. I'm going to serve in the church. And we realize it's not just about us, it's actually about all of us together and that you're actually connected to the contribution of the body of Christ, the church, right? And then there's this thing called the wall. This is this thing called the wall and this is, this is the kicker. So the wall, and I, I know all of us have come up upon this. This seems like it's a trick from the devil, but it's actually a treat from God. It's actually God-ordained and it's put in there for a specific reason. The wall is when you come up against this and you can't push any further. You just can't push forward on your walk. You don't know what's going on. Now, this is actually a necessary thing for us to go through for us to develop spiritual maturity. It's designed by God. It's definitely not an attack of the enemy, but it certainly feels like it because God is working on you during this period. And many of us get stuck here. We can't push past this. We get stuck at the wall and we just get frustrated and we go, what is going on? 
I just want you, God. I want to be there. Why can't I push any further? Can anyone relate to that? I know I have been there, definitely. Many people also turn around at this point and they go backwards because the wall is a hard place to be. And they go, man, but it was so much better then. I'm just going to go back to life-changing awareness. I'm going to pull out a serving. I'm just going to go back to, to just coming and that's it. Sometimes that's something that can happen. Or some people just leave the journey entirely. They get to this point and they're like, it's too hard, man. This is, this is too hard. But the thing is, if you push through this, if you push through this, you get to the inward journey. If you get through the wall, you get to the inward journey. What if our faith hasn't worked like what we thought? What, what if it didn't go like I planned? Maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's why I can't get through the wall. Maybe it's that I need to focus inward first. We journey inwards and then we wonder if this is actually for the long haul. We go, is this really a thing? Like, is this God thing for me? We question it again. And it's because we're actually reworking our inner self and our inner being to align with God. As we get to this point, then we push into stage five, which is the journey outward. Now, this is very similar to discipleship and, and even serving in, in stage three. It's very similar because it's an outward focus. We're serving, and we're leading, but it comes from a different place because of our inward journey. Because of the journey we've been on, it shifts the position that we start to serve from and the way we give and the way we connect with other people. We now move to serving and leading maybe, but it really does come from a different place. It's a new place of joy, a new holding and an understanding of God that is real and that is there. And it, it's, it's like a firm foundation in him. And then stage six. Stage six is being transformed into love. This is where we actually understand who God is. This is where we learn who he is, that he is love, and we see his image. But here's the thing. We can get to stage six, and then we can actually go back to stage one and do the whole circle again. Because we need to grow in our faith again and again and again and again. And we might keep coming up against this wall. This wall will keep popping up. But if you understand this picture and you understand the way this works for us as Christians, you know that you're going to be able to push through it. It's incredible. I love this process, and it certainly demystified it for me so much. But look, I want to talk a little bit more about the wall. Because I think this is where, you know, even as the church at the moment in a post-COVID pandemic era, I think the church across the world, I think, is, is in the wall at the moment. I think as a, as a movement of Christians, I think we're at the wall, right? God is, is growing us. God, God is building us as a church again to push into the next stage of journeying inwards so we can be more effective, but here is what the wall is not. The wall is not a trial. It's not an insignificant moment in time. It's not a short period. It's actually an elongated moment in time. It's a crisis or a long period of time that doesn't appear logical. It could be weeks. It could be months. It could even be years for some people. But that's what it is. It is not movement. It is stuckness. It is definitely stuckness. It is not the work of the enemy. It is permitted or designed by God. It is in there as a, a safety mechanism to stop you going to the next level yet. And it shouldn't be a full stop. It should just be a comma. It should not be a full stop. And now you have to wrestle with this, right? Because what is this for you? Where, where are you in this picture? The other thing is that you might see people around you in the church who are at the wall right now. You might recognize that and go, yeah, they're at the wall. And that's cool. The first thing is acknowledging it with them. 
Because that's what we need to do as, as believers, is, is rally together and help to acknowledge that. We need to help them cling on to Jesus. And it's interesting because many people would rather not do the work at the wall. Because it's not just about being stuck there, but it's actually about doing the work to get to the next stage. But many people would just turn around and go, this is too hard, I'm out. So it's up to us to stir them on. It's up to us to help them, to help them persevere. We have to see the wall for the gift that it really is. Because it is, it's a gift from God. It's a treat from God. But it so often looks like a trick of the devil. And that's why this process is so important. It's a treat to protect me or maybe grow me. And it's, it's almost like the Israelites when they were put in a holding pattern for 40 years, right? The land that they were going to was actually just nearby. But they spent 40 years walking in circles. And I believe that that's because God hadn't finished working on them yet. It wasn't so much about the journey there. It was about the journey in them. That's a 40-year gap of, of pushing into the wall. That's full on. But I believe that God will hold us at the wall until we're ready for the next stage. Because if he lets us go further now, we're not going to be ready for it. The promises he's got in store past the wall, we're not automatically ready for that. He's growing us. He's developing us and getting us ready to a position where he goes, all right, the gate's open. The gate's open. And for some of you guys, man, that's all you need to hear today. You just need to know, man, I'm at the wall and I need to push through. And you need to know that it's a a process and there's a reason that you're there. The only way to short circuit this, and even then it's, it's not guaranteed, but it's to learn what he wants you to learn faster, right? We can only get there by being in fellowship with him. The wall is designed to be a gift from God. It's a treat. And if you rebuke it, you're denying yourself the very gift that he's trying to give you. He, you're denying yourself the next stage in your journey. So we've got to push through it. Man, we've got to push through it. And it's not easy, man. It's definitely not easy. Because God knows that it's the training ground for the next stage. He's putting you through commando mode. It's going to be huge. But going back to Lazarus, right? Was this a trick of the devil or a treat from God? And I thought this is an interesting point because, you know, Jesus' friend was dying. Jesus was away traveling. Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, sent a message to him to come back and heal Lazarus. Jesus waited and waited and waited. And by the time he got back to Lazarus, he'd already died, right? So Jesus then went to the tomb and resurrected his friend. But here's the deal. The devil knew all along that Jesus could resurrect Lazarus the whole time. The devil's not stupid, right? So it makes me wonder, I don't think Lazarus' death was actually the devil's trick. So what was his trick then? What was he actually playing at there? I don't even know if Lazarus' death was the devil's doing. Probably not, Right? And I think a side point there, I think too many of us, uh, and I'm guilty of this too, are blaming the devil for things that weren't even him. Sure, he'll use it, but it wasn't him. I think the devil's real trick in this story was the gap between Lazarus' death and his resurrection. I think that's where the devil got into, was in the middle in that gap. And that's where he strikes. He strikes, strikes after the tragedy, but before the breakthrough. That's where the devil hangs out. That's his playground, literally. After the tragedy, but before the breakthrough. You ever wondered why it's the hardest right before breakthrough in anything? Man, that's where he is. And if you're going through something right now, man, just push through. I just want to encourage you this morning. Someone needs to hear this. You need to push through to the next stage. I think his real trick, though, his real trick, I think, was that 
the devil enjoyed getting in Mary and Martha's heads. I think that's what he's doing at this point. He's dead, Mary. Where's your saviour boy now? It's too late, Martha. If only he was here. Why, why would he just leave you like that when you called for help? Why, why would he do that? The devil would have made out like Jesus didn't care. Because that's what he does. And I think Jesus knew this. He knew that they were going through this, and I think that's why he wept. I think that's why it was so hard for him, because he knew the tricks the devil were playing. But he had to wait because it was in God's timing. It was in God's timing. And man, that would have been so hard for him, right? But here's the good news, right? At the same time that it was a trick from the devil, it was also a treat from God because he used it to grow Mary faith, Martha's faith, the disciples' faith, the people around there, Lazarus. I mean, could you imagine? It doesn't talk about Lazarus' perspective. What would have been like being resurrected? That's crazy. How much faith would he have after that? God treated them to a new level of understanding because he was in control of the situation the whole time. The devil just made out with a trick that God wasn't in control, that Jesus had lost the battle. And then Jesus came in, resurrected Lazarus, and they're all spun out while Jesus reestablished what faith really was to them. What a treat for Mary and Martha, right? That's incredible. But this is what the devil always does, yeah? He always does it. And he tells me all the time, you know, and I'm sure it's the same for you. You've lost the battle. Give up now. What are you doing still trying to push through that? But all the while, God is still in total control of the situation, just like he was with Mary and Martha. He is there. He's in the moment. He's already in control. It might feel dark right now, but God's there. And he's already done it. He might have just dropped it a bit further on your timeline and granted it to you already. You might have been praying here, but God's outside time. So he's gone, cool. You're not ready for it yet but I'm going to drop it here for you. I've already granted that. You've just got to get from here to here, and then it's coming. That's where it is. That's where it is. But the bottom line is, how do I know in my life if what I'm going through is a treat or a trick? Because it's so obvious afterwards, isn't it? Always afterwards, we look back at it and we go, oh, that was clearly that, or that was clearly a treat, or that was a trick. Yeah, I I see what the devil did there. But we don't get it in the middle, do we? It's so obvious afterwards. So I want to give you, based on the time, I was going to give you four cheat codes to try to recognize whether this is a trick or a treat, but we're going to go through two today, and we're going to pick up the other two next week, if that's cool. My first point, go for the four. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. We're, we've got the timer. <laughs> That'll keep you coming back next week, eh? Part one. God will test you. Satan will tempt you. God will test you, but Satan will tempt you. The first thing you have to do is examine if this is a test or a temptation. And James wrote a letter to the 12 tribes that were scattered among the world. And this is what it said, right? James 1. James 1, 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So straight away we see trials are good, right? Trials are a good thing. I bet that doesn't feel like it in the middle of it. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And that's the key word. That's it. Perseverance. That's the key to this, right? Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And it's almost like perseverance has a mind of its own in this passage. Because it's, it says there, let it finish its work. 
If we persevere, it will do its thing. That's the premise and the promise. We do this, we get that, right? And if any of you, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And this is usually by trials and testing. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. And that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And is that you, maybe? Are you feeling unstable at the moment? Are you feeling blown in the wind? Perseverance will build faith and it will build stability. James 1, James 1, 12, sorry, verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, having stood the test. That person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. That's in bold. Nor does God tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. God won't tempt you. God won't tempt you. If it doesn't build perseverance, it's probably not from God, right? That's how I interpret that. Satan does tempt you, and he tempted Jesus for like 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, didn't he? Learning to eat a full block of chocolate because you've had a bad day is probably not building perseverance. (laughs) I'm so guilty. So guilty of that. Drinking a whole cart in a weekend to cope with something probably isn't a good way to persevere. I might help you, both of those things might help you temporarily fix your feelings, but they don't actually help with the real root problem, do they? They're distractions to keep you from dealing with the real problem. And the thing is, the devil wants to distract you with that, so you're not building perseverance in what God is trying to do in your world. Because if you're building perseverance, that's what's going to help you push through that wall. That's one of the things that's going to get you through to that next period. And the enemy is always working on distracting us, isn't he? He always tries to say, hey, this will help you feel better. You should do this. Eat the chocolate. (laughs) He's distracting us. The bottom line is you can discern whether it's a test or a temptation by the pull that it's having on you. If it's pulling you to unbiblical wrong behavior, it's probably the devil, right? It's probably Satan. Whereas if it's actually leading you to grow in your faith and develop yourself for God, then it's probably God. The hardest thing, I think, is remembering this trick when you're in the middle of it. Number two, God will convict you, the devil will condemn you. God will convict you, and the devil will condemn you. And there's a big difference between these two. There's a huge difference. And one of Satan's best tricks is that he loves to tempt us into sin. He loves that. And then once he's got you there, he'll make you think that God hates you for your sin. Because that's exactly what he does. God, on the other hand, actually loves you no matter what you do. Because his love is based in himself. It's not based on your behavior. It's based in him. So it doesn't matter what you do, he still loves you. 1 John 4.8 says, God is love. And this is really true, but at the same time, we also, we also shouldn't just take this as a license to sin any time. It's not, it's not a, a free license for that. And we have to ask ourselves, do you think that God will just simply ignore our sins? 
I think so. I think because he loves us way too much. I mean, we've got to think about the gospel in general, right? God sent his only son to become a human forever, by the way. When Jesus died, he didn't just get back to heaven and just become in the same being again as he always was. He's human forever, just like you and I, just like you and I. And he died on the cross for us because he loves us. And his holiness became the payment for our sin. Romans 8 explains this to us, right? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what does that mean? Well, condemnation is when you're sentenced to death for doing the wrong thing. Does it mean death in this life? No, I I think it means death forever. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about after this life. But instead, thanks to Jesus, we've got blessings of living forever. That's incredible. Instead of condemning us, God will convict us of our sin so that we can be restored into relationship with him. That's Because that's the point of it. He will convict it in love. And God, God, doesn't, God doesn't condemn his people. After Jesus died on the cross, he sent us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives within us. If you're a newcomer who's just exploring this thing, we have the Trinity of God, Jesus, God the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives within us. And the Holy Spirit is what points out sin in our lives so that we'll be motivated to go back to God and fix it and make it right. The Holy Spirit is your best friend. He's definitely my best friend. And he has our backs. And that's awesome. You know that that feeling when you get inside of you when something's not quite right. He's pointing it out and going, hey, it's you. You just need to sort this. And I love that. The Holy Spirit is incredible. 2 Corinthians 7, 9. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Worldly grief produces death. So good. So man, I think, I think the important thing is just acknowledging Acknowledging that the devil is there, that he's there, but he's not always the one who's giving us the trick. Sometimes it comes from God, and that's important. That's important. But we've got to push through to push through the wall, right? We've got to persevere. Would you stand with me this morning? We've got to be so diligent dealing with it, right? We've got to have a bird's eye view on what's going on. And we've got to keep this stuff at the forefront of our minds as we we grow as Christians. And look, in the next few minutes, I just want to... Thanks, Ben, coming up. I just want to um, give an opportunity for people who may not have made a decision to follow Jesus yet. Maybe that's you. Maybe this is your your first step and you're going, you know what? I want to make this shift. I really... I'm just feeling in my heart that it's time. And I know for me, when I had that for the first time, I just felt this pounding in my chest. I was sitting just over here, actually. Had this pounding in my chest and just felt God say, you know, now's the time. Now's the time. And maybe that's you this morning. Or maybe you're someone who's been coming for, for months, years even. And maybe you're just feeling that, that today's the day. But I, I want to speak to three kinds of people today. The first one is someone who might have grown up in church or maybe you've kind of fallen away. 
and you're just back attending now and you're going, you know what, I, I want to make a decision. I want to, I want to shift my life and I want to come back to God. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're going, I, I need to come back to Him. Maybe that's something you've been feeling for a while. Maybe you're someone who's brand new and you're just exploring this thing and you're just going, you know what, I'm ready to make a decision. I'm ready to make a decision. And the, the third person I want to pray for this morning is someone who... Almost lost my notes there. Someone who... Um, don't you love mind blanks? Yeah, that's the one. Someone who's not sure that they're actually going to heaven. That's the one I wanted. Yeah. So if that's you, maybe you don't actually know if you're going to heaven. Maybe you've been going to church for a long time. Maybe you've been exploring this Christ thing for a long time. Maybe you've been going to church for years. But you haven't actually made a decision. Or you're just feeling like, I don't know if I'm actually going to heaven. I want to give you the assurance this morning that you are. That's what I want to do. So with every eye closed and every head bowed this morning, if you're one of those three people, would you just raise your hand this morning for me? I see you at the back. Thank you. If there's anyone else, would you raise your hand this morning? If you're online, you can do this as well. We've got chat hosts. Thank you. I see you at the front. We've got chat hosts who are ready to help you in the next step of your journey because we want to help you. We've got resources. And we want to help hook you up with those. That's awesome. I'm going to wait a few more seconds if there's anyone else. If this is you, you might be feeling it this morning that it might be your moment, that this is your time to, to come back to God. Awesome. So honored to, to lead, lead this prayer. Would you repeat after me this morning? I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. I believe He died and rose again to forgive my sin and give me life. I receive your grace by faith. Come into my life, make me new. I'll follow you. Can we have a roaring round of applause for people that prayed that this morning? We are so excited for you guys. Please, guys, if you have prayed that prayer this morning, please come and chat to us, either myself, Pastor Jackie, or anyone you see on stage, any of our team here. We would really love to help you on the next stage of your journey. You can head to the info bar if that's easier. That's not a problem as well. But we really do want to help you on the next stage, no matter where you're at. Even if you've been attending this church for years, we still want to help you get to the next stage because that's what it's about. You saw that chart. We're growing together as Christians. Hey, thank you so much for watching. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a thing from our channel. And share with a friend because you never know who you're going to bless. You can also catch us live every Sunday morning at 9.30am Australian Western Standard Time. We'd love to see you there.